not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au or whatever podcasting app you choose to use. My name's Matt Grantham and joining me today is Anthony Daniel. How are you, Anthony? Well, mate, how are you? Very good. And today we're going to be speaking to John Jong and David Miller who are from Greensmith Energy Management Systems. They're based in California, and they join us in the studio today. Hello, John. Oh, hi, Anthony. Thanks very much for having us today. And so we'd just like to start these interviews, getting a little bit of background about how people got involved in the sector. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, John, and also about Greensmith? Sure. Um, About nine years ago, when I was asked to be part of this very exciting startup, the opportunity related to energy storage and solving a a variety of different grid congestion issues was really the potential, but uh, we were very far you know, from actually uh, reaching that potential. So as founder and as uh, chief executive of the company, I've not only had the, the chance to work with men and women to build what we believe are the best available technologies in energy storage, but to see different parts of the world, United States, Canada, Germany, uh, United Kingdom, and now Australia, really embrace uh, these kind of leading technologies to solve some of the grid-related problems that we're seeing. So it's taken quite a while, but throughout that period, I think the industry as a whole, and Greensmith in particular, have really um, built something quite special that's uniquely fit for purpose in terms of some of the issues that we see in places like Victoria, New South Wales, as well as South Australia here. I'm always interested in how they you come up with your name because we always love this idea. You've got to get something <laughs> greeny or solar and then something sort of uh, optimistic yes. and, and put them together, and that's how a lot of names are formed. Is the whole blacksmith, was that part of the name? And then, say, substituting black for green, was that where it came from? Yeah, I mean, to, to be clear, uh, I think the name was uh, created even before I joined. Right. But uh, there is this sense that we are part of a transition of where electricity comes from, uh, even though we uh, you know, obviously depend on uh, fossil-based generator, increasingly um, our electricity is coming from renewables. So green sort of made sense. And Smith, we wanted to, to be more than just a provider of software uh, and provider of design. We wanted to build systems, systems that could be implemented and really start doing work. And it requires a lot of hardware, quite honestly, uh, related to batteries and inverters, if you think about energy storage. So Greensmith seemed to kind of fit the bill, as it were. Didn't cost us a lot of money. We didn't hi- hire somebody to come out with <laughs> the name. And we're uh, kind of stuck with it now, aren't we? Fantastic. <laughs> and can you you mentioned you sort of got a bit of a global footprint. Can I ask what the relationship with Zen Energy is in Australia and, and how Greensmith and, and Zen work together? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. So one of the things that we've done, I think, uh, a reasonably good job of is stayed focused as a company. And that focus is about being uh, a technology provider. And, and Zen is uh, one of many uh, close partners we have around the world uh, that really understand local markets in both South Australia and Victoria and uh, also have a tremendous amount of credibility and experience in areas such as solar. So they are um, our means as a company to scale and expand and, and really reach our technologies into new markets without necessarily having to uh, you know, reinvent uh, Greensmith 2.0 in Australia. So this is what allows us to respond very quickly to opportunities that we see here in Victoria as well as South Australia as well. So we enjoy a nice partnership with them. Sure. And so what are the things 
things at the moment? I mean, I know there's a lot of focus in Australia to do with obviously we've got a good solar resource, but what are the things that, that make Australia a really attractive market for a company like yours relative to, say, other parts of the world? Yeah, that's, um, that's a very interesting question for us because we've been speaking to a variety of different stakeholders, both here and abroad in Australia. And it comes down to the following point. The, the, the grid issues and the grid challenges that you see here are no different than uh, those that we observe around the world. So that's heartening in, in some sense that there's some uh, idiosyncratic things about, you know, any large sort of country transitioning, as, especially into renewable energy, which can be a little bit more impactful on the grid than perhaps baseload uh, coal generation, et cetera, as an example. But the problems around reliability, problems around controlling and reducing cost of electricity, they're basically the goals that we, you know, find ourselves speaking with, with a variety of grid operators around the world as well. So here in Australia, uh, we think that you've got a, a, a nice set of ingredients really coming together well. You've got uh, stakeholders from regulatory to government to independent business owners and to, you know, everyone in between ready for change, ready to, you know, basically improve the reliability of the grid. And what's more, ready to embrace emerging technologies to do that differently than the way perhaps those problems have been solved before. The other ingredient that I see is that um, energy storage uh, really relies on things such as uh, the cost of batteries, the cost of inverters. And what we've seen approximately in the last 18 months, that battery prices have come, come down uh, almost 50%. Um, and these are some of the most premium batteries that you can get from the largest battery OEMs that provide warranties and all the things because energy storage is now really becoming more of a 10 plus year asset. And so it's kind of nice that the technology and the cost structure appear to be ready to not only solve technically the problems that uh, prevail in Australia, but do them in an economic way so that it's a commercial success uh, and not only a technology success. And what are the things, I mean, you can go into a bit of detail with this stuff, John, and David, you can come in on any of this uh, if you feel the need to, but what are the real, uh, if you can get into the nitty gritty lessons that that uh, have been learned in other markets like California around the world that we can, that we're just coming in behind those problems now, the, the sort of specific details, and you can talk about frequency regulation or whatever it is, but what are the things that, that we can really learn from you know, your experiences in California, for example? Yeah, I, I would just say the following just before I um, ask my colleague David Miller to jump in. One is that energy storage works, that it is um, not only effective at solving both reliability issues related to frequency, voltage, um, other things that, uh, that grid operators are constantly trying to, to manage, as well as the notion of arbitrage where you can actually get more value out of the electricity that's generated. And it's important to note that it, you know, energy storage doesn't really care where the electricity comes from. Mm -hmm. It just wants to do a better job. So if um, you know, in Australia, um, you know, I guess about two-thirds or so are generated by coal, increasing amount is being generated by wind and solar. Uh, energy storage wants to um, make better use of all the electricity to, to make uh, electricity affordable and wants to ease that transition so that the transition in and of itself doesn't cause a lot of disruption to um, you know, men and women, business owners who obviously use electricity to drive their, um, their output and ultimately the GDP of a country like Australia as well. David, do you also want to chime in with a few things? Sure. One le lesson learned that we had is from the PJM market, which is Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, and a number of other states in the United States. It's one of the largest wholesale markets in the world. And it was with really the first market to enable uh, energy storage to participate in grid reliability. 
Uh, it, it, we think of the, the, the grid as being open to different technologies, but really there are some implicit assumptions of technology characteristics in how a market operates. And PJM recognized that and created a short-duration uh, frequency regulation product, which allowed energy storage with 15 or 20 minutes of duration to participate in that market, whereas before it required much longer duration assets that would be much bigger and more costly. And in that process, they brought went from zero to 250 megawatts of energy storage in their frequency regulation market. And over that time, the frequency regulation market improved because energy storage was faster responding than the existing resources, largely gas, fire generation, and hydropower, that had been providing frequency regulation previously. And so this allowed PJM, with more accurately responding resources, to decrease the total amount of frequency regulation resources procured every hour. And they could do that because the resources were more accurate and not overshooting. So they, they, they decreased the total amount procured by 30%. And over the period of 2013 to 2017, when energy storage entered in the market, the total cost, average hourly cost of frequency regulation decreased by over 50%. So it's, it's a lesson from another market where creating simple market rules that enable the, develop, enable the new technology to participate in the market can really bring huge benefits to consumers. Fantastic. And I'm interested in, in thinking about you know, the fact that you could do that so much cheaper than you would have in the past and you, you, there's a lot more options available to you. And you've spoken about those simple rule changes and this is something that has been a lot in the discussion here in Australia over the past few weeks on how we respond to this crisis. It's about what are the simple rule changes that could be in place that could allow a lot more of these resources to come in from your, from your understanding? Well, one rule change, for instance, is the way uh, energy prices are calculated. So in Australia, energy prices are calculated, uh, averaged over a 30-minute basis. Uh, alternatively, you could have energy prices that are calculated every five minutes and charged every five minutes. And that would allow uh, more uh, volatility in the five-minute market, which would enable energy storage to come in and really pinpoint the periods in which it's much more valuable to charge and discharge the battery. That would be one simple change. Okay, but we wouldn't be doing sort of fast trading. You know, it's not every half a second, but at least every five minutes, it would, it would improve the efficiency of the market considerably, you think? Yeah, that, that's right. You, you can still do that on a five-minute basis. Uh, other options are just to, 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 to clarify rules around frequency regulation, to be more open about what exactly is required, such that new technologies can figure out exactly what is needed to participate in the market. There is a, a need for more transparency in terms of what market signals look like, what historic frequency has looked like. If you open up more data around how the grid operates, technology companies can really optimize the sizing of their resources and minimize the cost to better compete in the market. Yeah, the other thing I want to clarify, Anthony, uh, because this is just an excellent, you know, timely question, obviously, uh, in Australia, but also in places like Germany and the United Kingdom. United Kingdom is in the throes of procuring well into 300 megawatts recently. And that has a lot to do with grid reliability concerns that they have associated with a tremendous amount of wind being generated in Scotland. Uh, so having said that, I think what's important to suggest is that energy storage is economically viable today, even without some of the rule changes that we're discussing. Yeah. The rule changes, however, enhance and, and uh, incentivize more asset, basically, investment into energy storage by, the, by those that want to own and operate and need to finance these systems. The second thing is, 
we as a company have also focused on energy storage, not just as a ROI exercise of watching the denominator in terms of when our battery price is coming down. But with our software, we've really designed a multi-application appliance that you can uh, capture more benefits with. So in other words, you want energy storage assets to be as busy as possible uh, and capture many value streams. And that's the, that's the big idea in South Australia. That's the big idea in, in, in Victoria. And we as a company offer seven different applications. So you know, think about energy storage less as a VAT of batteries and more as a programmable computer. Once you do that, then the ROI around the numerator in terms of how many value streams with the set of costs you're able to capture really make energy storage that much more powerful. So for us, as we take a look at a tremendous amount of modeling that we're doing in different parts of Australia, because we, we don't like to touch a single battery unless there's an ROI positive opportunity because it's got to be commercially successful. It cannot just be a technology success. We see a, a tremendous amount of opportunity to capture ROI today. And then with some of these rule changes that recognize that energy storage is a different, fast-responding class of asset. These assets can respond as quickly as 40 milliseconds. And that's of tremendous value to grid operators around the world. And they're taking advantage of that. So that's all upside yeah. as far as we're concerned. So as not 30 minutes the, then, John. There's a it, lot of lots of 40 milliseconds in 30 minutes. Yeah, designed correctly, <laughs> you can have some of the world-class bidirectional inverters and batteries respond in tens of milliseconds. And so right now what, what we're finding as we work very closely with grid operators such as PJM, Kaiso, uh, and others in Germany and the United Kingdom, they're actually adjusting not just the rules but the technology uh, communication systems to basically accommodate this new class of assets that can respond as fast as a computer. And so that, uh, you know, if you combine that with uh, gas generators, if you can combine that with other grid equipment, it just gives you yet another advantage. And I, and I would dare say that it uh, brings the grid into a more contemporary approach to what technology can really do if you have the right software, if you have the right computing, if you have the right data analytics. And, and so, you know, we delivered about one-third of the total energy storage deployments in the United States last year. And uh, one of those was one of the largest systems. So the other thing that I want to mention is these things can be deployed very quickly. We put uh, almost 100 megawatt hours in, the, uh, in, in Southern California responding to a gas leak called Aliso Canyon mm. um, in about three months. So that is possible to do. That is feasible to do. And I know um, us, along with two other of our competitors, who we have, we have a great deal of respect for, uh, got the opportunity to deliver that. We were the first ones to be con- uh, commissioned. Uh, by California. And those other competitors, of course, are AES, who uh, is a very large power company. The difference with us is that we don't own and operate assets. AES is a power company, so therefore they do. Tesla is the uh, other other competitor that we have a great deal of respect for. Uh, they are a battery company. And Greensmith, although we deliver a lot of turnkey energy storage systems, we believe from the get-go that it was important to be battery agnostic, that batteries are very much like um, you know chipsets within phones that are be- becoming commoditized. However, you need to use the right ones. So therefore, you can't um, expect one battery to solve all problems as well. So that's the difference between us. But we believe that speed to market, as well as the availability of the technology, can really be beneficial to Australia, where some of the issues related to the grid are here and now, as opposed to something that uh, you want to address five you know, or so years down the road. You're listening to the Beyond Zero show, and we're speaking to John Jung and David Miller from Greensmith Energy Management Systems. John, I just wanted to sort of pick up on something there. You mentioned those seven value streams or those seven products that you've got uh, available. Could you list them off in, in a little bit of detail? But then also just go into, you know, given the flexibility of the product that you offer, 
who is the highest value adding owner of those assets when you look at it and break it down in terms of uh, a grid operator versus a retailer versus a home off-grid system? Who who gets the most value from that system sure. as in the Australian market context? Yeah, and some of the applications that we offer today, and uh, what's what's great about the the seven and growing number of applications is that they're all proven, they're all robust and mature. And, you know, someone who owns and operates energy storage, whether they're a private business owner uh, running a factory or an electric utility, can turn on two applications at the start. And then if they see maybe rules that change that allow them to capture more value on something like frequency regulation, they can turn that on. So it really basically operates very much like contemporary software that we enjoy in in other parts of our business as well. But uh, those applications include in no sort of major order because uh, a lot of people have different uses for energy storage, and that's the flexibility that you want to offer. They include frequency regulation or frequency response. Frequency, uh, as many of your listeners know, is one of the, the most difficult power quality issues on the grid when you have a mix of assets. So it's ultimately what will uh, allow a computer to break down or a generator that you have in your factory to break down. So frequency is one of the aspects of quality that grid operators around the world really are um, you know, highly sort of sensitive to, to managing. Ramp rate control is another one that uh, is very popular. And what that is, is as more renewables go onto the grid, such as wind and solar, grid operators want to make sure that they're able to mitigate the harmful effects, oftentimes on distribution feeders, which are fairly thin, of a tremendous amount of uh, power generation that's going in, that's intermittent. So what they do is they sometimes ramp uh, how quickly a certain number of megawatts can go up or go, go down from the grid. Another one that's, uh, that's a very favorite of a lot of people is peak shifting, of course. But peak shifting that needs to be done on a more automated, algorithmic basis. So what peak shifting does for us is it imbues additional data, such as day-ahead forecast for weather, uh, demand, uh, p- potential demand conditions that you m- might have. So you have a more predictive approach to arbitraging when electricity is cheap and when it's expensive so that you can optimize, again, any kind of electricity that you're generating as well. We have things such as Black Star, which is also very important when you think about microgrids and being able to basically protect your localized grid if they're in the event of a more sort of broad catastrophic blackout or brownout. We uh, also have things like EV charging support. We have intermittency smoothing, which is obviously something that uh, will not only uh, address things such as the duck curve in in California. You know, we worry a lot about the duck curve. I'm sure uh, people see the belly kind of, you know, growing uh, on a a monthly basis seemingly. But intermittency is also harmful, not just because of when the sun shines and when it doesn't, but the nature of the electricity generation from resources like wind and solar are highly variable. And that variability also causes some power quality issues on the grid. So those and many other uh, applications we offer right out of the box today in our fifth generation software platform that we call GEMS5. And uh, what's more, we sit down with a lot of the biggest power companies in the world who are our partners and customers like Duke Energy, Eon, Nextera, AEP, and others, and really go through modeling so that it's not just about the technology. It's also about what problems are they trying to solve? What is the optimum trade-off between doing one application versus another? Because right. sometimes you can't do two applications at the same, same time. Sometimes you can. And so it, it is an exercise of not just what our technology platform can do, but really rethinking the possibilities of, a, again, a multi-application appliance that just happens to have batteries and inverters 
on how it can do a myriad of different things to not only add value in and of itself as energy storage, but complement and protect and improve the longevity and performance of other existing grid assets on the grid. And that is perhaps a message that we're carrying today that is resonating the most with all the stakeholders in Australia that we've met. And John, you, you mentioned there before about you know how, how flexible this product is for people who own a battery. It's very easy to wrap your head around. You know, I can buy it cheaply overnight at forty dollars a megawatt hour, and I can sell it into the peak or offset my own usage. That's not something nice and simple that we can all wrap our heads around. How do you reimburse them for those frequent? What is the what is the arbitrage on or the, the value that you create in terms of frequency regulation relative to that? price arbitrage and how does the market currently price that and in terms of your revenue stack what does that look like is most of your work in australia likely to come from the revenue come from that frequency regulation side or is most of it likely to come from arbitrage or how is that uh, you know likely to work in the australian context yeah so the way frequency is priced in most markets is on an hourly capacity basis so essentially if i have a, a one megawatt battery I bid into the market for one megawatt of frequency. And then depending on how the grid is actually performing during that hour, I may be called to charge or discharge at different amounts over different periods of time. But as long as I perform as I'm instructed to, um, I, I'm paid the same amount for that hour. Uh, and, and so it's, it's not based on how much energy I charge or discharge. It's based on being available and then actually following through and performing. And that's how frequency is, is compensated in Australia. It's how it's compensated in markets like PJM and California and in um, Europe. So it's a little bit of a different structure. The, the benefit for energy storage there is that if you imagine yourself as an energy storage, maybe a, a one-hour, one-megawatt system, and you have high prices at some period during the day and low prices at night, you might be able to do one energy arbitrage cycle and achieve the price delta between the on-peak and off-peak price once during the day. Whereas with frequency regulation, you can bid into that market every hour of the day. Now, there are challenges with that. You might find yourself getting an empty battery, and that's where Greensmith's uh, smart algorithms help out by managing the state of charge of the asset while also participating in the frequency regulation market. But assuming you have an intelligent controller, you can participate in that market 24 hours a day, as we do in markets around the world. So in most markets, the, the value for frequency regulation for battery is higher than the value for energy arbitrage. Now, in Australia, that may be a little different. Uh, and the reason is that in Australia, there are more volatile energy prices than in most other places of the world that we operate. So I think that the mix may be closer to 50-50 uh, between frequency and energy. Uh, but in, in, in most places, and we wouldn't be surprised in the future in Australia, the, the, the majority of the revenues come through these shorter duration products like uh, frequency regulation, frequency response. I've always found really interesting is that the way you can use these batteries in all these different ways is beginning to resemble almost an asset uh, investment portfolio. Okay, this is my low growth but you know dependable income stream, and here is my uh, more, more volatile but potentially could to deliver more. It's almost like it's a, a pension fund in some ways. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how investors, project finance companies, think about these systems as well. So they'll look at a, a battery, they'll say, okay, the battery is being contracted to be available for a grid emergency for 10 years, and that revenue is a monthly payment that's coming from a, a grid operator or a government. And so we're certain that that battery is going to get that payment, and we can put debt on the capital costs that are uh, covered by that payment. And then we have some uncertain revenue, merchant revenue in the frequency regulation or the energy arbitrage market. 
And there's a lot of upside in that market, but uncertainty about what exactly the price level will be. So there, it may be difficult to get debt financing for that project, but we can finance that with equity, and the equity investors will share in the upside of that project. Very interesting. I wanted to move on and talk about what specifically is going on in South Australia. And what was really interesting to me is that a lot of people had some confusion about what was being proposed by the South Australian government when they want 100 megawatts, or was it 200 megawatts available? And, And then people were saying, well, don't you mean megawatt hours? If you're talking about battery storage, aren't you talking about a certain amount amount of energy rather than power? And so it started this interesting discussion about whether a battery can provide or a battery bank can provide something very similar to a gas peaker, where a gas peaker is more about providing power. And if, as long as you can provide more gas to it, it can provide you that uh, energy into the future. But of course, what a battery has is finite. So I wanted to get your thoughts on what is the value proposition for a battery to provide something similar to a, to a gas plant if it can't provide it for hours and hours on end? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And we had this same debate in California when California came out with a mandate for energy storage of 1.3 gigawatts of energy storage, which was also framed on a capacity basis rather than on an energy basis. Right. And all the battery companies said, well, what does that mean? You're not mm-hmm. telling us how much energy storage we actually need to build or sell. As I think about it more, I've wrapped my head around the idea that it really does make sense to frame it on a capacity basis. So talking about megawatts rather than megawatt hours, because the value that the batteries are providing to the grid are a capacity value. That's how grid operators have have traditionally thought about this value. I mean, if you have, for instance, an interconnector between two states go down and you lose uh, 500 megawatts of capacity, you need 500 megawatts of instantaneous resource to come online to compensate for that loss. And now, the reason why it makes sense to think about batteries in terms of megawatts is that it's important to have that capacity available. Then we can have a secondary discussion about how long do you really need the batteries for. So maybe you need the batteries for 30 minutes, which allows you time to ramp up some slower uh, performing generators as a backup power system. Maybe you need it for four hours because you actually have to go out to a site and manually check a facility. Maybe you only need it for... 30 seconds, because it really just takes a short period of time for your existing fleet to ramp up. So it, it really is specific to the, the, the case of the, of, of the other assets on the grid and what other flexibility you have to work with. But generally, I think it makes sense to frame these things in capacity because the capacity is the value that the battery is providing. And then the amount of energy that's needed is really case specific. And that can be analyzed by uh, grid operators and planners. And just to add to David's framing, this is the work that we do uh, on a daily basis. You know, before uh, a single battery or inverter is touched, we try to figure out the interplay between sizing, the ratio between power and energy, and the financial model that will allow these assets to be financially viable. And there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs across different batteries that you can select. Some are more like Ferrari engines. Others are, are more uh, kind of uh, GM, you know, truck <laughs> engine. And they all have strengths and weaknesses depending upon what the application is. And then, uh, of course, you want to size it as large as possible. But the more you size it, the more it's going to cost of, uh, in terms of initial capital as well. So this is the, the very much the key to the way we form relationships with operators as well as some of the largest power companies to really answer the question, how are they going to be successful holistically mm. uh, before you go off and put a bunch of batteries everywhere? And, and that question, need not only to be applied at day one, but at, at, at year 10. At year 10, what has the degradation curve done with the battery? How much capacity is available? And how is that asset making money? And how is it 
also changing. If the rules change over that time period, that makes another value stream flexible. We had one uh, customer, San Diego Gas and Electric, actually on a site together with us design it such that they could add additional batteries over time. And the reason why they wanted to do that is not only to have the flexibility to expand as their needs grew, but also take advantage of future battery technologies that are more dense, more cheaper. So these are uh, the complexities of energy storage to really get it right. And we believe that given 60 plus systems that we've delivered to some of the largest power companies around the world, uh, we not only bring the technology, but we bring answers to these key questions, which are fundamental to make sure that in Victoria and South Australia, these um, grid issues are resolved with energy storage in the most efficient and optimized way possible. Fantastic. I think we've uh, run out of time, Matt. Yes, uh, that, that's, uh, it's been very insightful. Thank you very much for coming in today, gentlemen. And uh, is there anywhere else that people can find a bit more information, uh, John, about uh, Greensmith if they look you guys up or follow you on Twitter or anything like that? Yes, uh, greensmithenergy.com and uh, all the connections to social media uh, on the page as well. And we also include a tremendous number of case studies that get you into much more detail about what problems people we're facing, how they use not only energy storage, but other strategies to address them together, and the results. It's because for us, we're not about sort of one-off pilot systems and selling a bunch of batteries. We're really trying to make sure that people realize the full potential of an intelligent, programmable energy storage system, whether it's 100 megawatts at a time or 5 kilowatts in their home. It, it really doesn't matter. It's still about value delivered. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Beyond Zero Show. To find out more about what we do, you can get in contact with us at bze.org.au. And if you'd uh, like to get any more information John mentioned there, you can uh, have a look on their website. Um, We've been speaking to John Jung and David Miller from Greensmith Energy Management Systems. I've been Matt Grantham. I'm Anthony Daniel. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.